Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're gonna be sitting down with the president and founder of Waldo's Rescue Pen, Emily Dyson, and her director of operations, Jenny Nevin. Waldo's Rescue Pen is a nonprofit organization based out of New York that rescues animals from high kill shelters and needy situations. Having got its footing just a few years ago, the growth and amount of rescues this organization has been able to achieve and be a part of is astronomical. That's why we were so honored to have Emily and Jenny on to discuss best practices, adoption, social marketing, and cultivating long-term supporters. If you like this episode, be sure to click that subscribe button to listen in on similar stories. Other than that, let's get started. Hey, Jenny. Hey, Emily. How are you both today? Great. Thank you. How are you, Bridget? Really good. We always like to kind of roll back the clock, start from the beginning. Not really the beginning because I'm sure it started from like a deep love of animals, but tell us, Waldo's Rescue, where did you start? (laughs) Waldo's started in September of 2020. So we are just kind of gearing up on our two-year anniversary. I personally have been involved with Animal Rescue I'm from Huntington Beach, California. I volunteered at the animal shelter right by the beach all throughout high school and was always kind of bringing pets home to my parents. I grew up with four rabbits, four dogs, guinea pigs. I don't even know how many hamsters I had during my childhood. Fortunately, they don't have the longest lives. Um, So those kind of were probably each like eight to eight months to a year at a time. And then I went to the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in LA and Cal State Long Beach and moved to New York. And during the pandemic, I was supposed to move to Japan and that kind of all went to a halt. And so then I was a volunteer at a rescue and heavily involved. And I kind of went ahead and started. There's just so many dogs that need to be saved. So I worked with an additional rescue on kind of how how you set up a nonprofit and went through that phase. And then Jenny has started with Waldo's in, I believe it was April of 2021. She has taken on a huge role. She manages all of our fosters and really helps place the dogs with them because we are foster-based. So without fosters, we can't save dogs. So she has done incredible work working with Waldo's. We've saved over 1,400 dogs now and about 13, 1,200, 1,200, 1,300 have all been placed in homes. We typically have about 75 dogs at a time in foster care. So it's a lot of work. Yeah. (laughs) They say when you start any sort of organization, you sort of crawl, walk, run. It sounds like you went into a sprint. Yeah. (laughs) The pandemic um, and being based out of New York City with pretty much everyone being remote definitely helped the momentum. And we have had a number of fosters that foster fail and adopt their dog. And then once they've had their dog for six months, come back and foster again to continue socializing them. And we've had a handful of repeat adopters, which 
makes us feel good just knowing that like they come back to the same rescue and had a good experience, especially since it's all volunteer based. And we talk on Slack and Jenny also really helps manage that Slack conversation. So we have all of our fosters in the pool together, but that's pretty much Waldo's in a little bubble. Are you both working outside of the rescue as well? So I am. Yeah, I have a full-time job in the fashion industry. And I'm actually in the office Tuesday through Thursday. So it's definitely wiggling around with any free time that you may have, but it's definitely worth it. And I love it makes the day go by and makes the day so much better. Jenny is a rock star. She is like (laughs) Waldo's everything. (laughs) It's kind of a blessing too that Jenny does work because that way she's not really able to foster dogs. So I always am fostering a lot. So she's able to do so much like administrative stuff where when I have five foster dogs, it's like my mornings of walking them all and feeding them all. It's 11 o'clock and I'm now like, oh my gosh, what have I missed? And so she will fill me in on everything. We really work very well together. It's definitely been a huge success for Waldo's having her as an all-star volunteer. So very blessed. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That sounds like so much to balance. Certainly in a city that always has something going on. Jenny, are you a New Yorker born and bred or where did you come from? (laughs) No, I'm actually from Jersey, from North Jersey. And I grew up with King Charles Cavaliers. We actually went to a pet store when I was like five years old and there was a dog playing with my shoelaces and I was just obsessed. And then the whole dog obsession kind of went from there. We got multiple dogs since I've been with my parents. And then, like Emily said, I just wanted to foster. And I actually, my first foster was a Cocker Spaniel. And then I was like, really fell in love and was like, oh, I have to keep helping this organization. And then I got involved in TikTok. Emily was like, who can help with TikTok? And that's how I jumped in. (laughs) But yes, from Jersey. And then I moved to the city actually two weeks before the pandemic. So it was kind of like a wild time, but happy to be here. Just because I have had a few rescues who have been like, We don't know anything about TikTok, but since it's coming up and it's getting so prominent, how do you guys operate TikTok? Are you guys finding a lot of good engagement from it? Do you get fosters or how's that going for you? I find that TikTok is very random and the things that blow up are so bizarre. And you're like, why is this have 1 million views and 2 million likes? But I think it's just, getting those good videos from the fosters, which a lot of them you can really, even if it's a dog sleeping, you can make it cute with like an audio. So it's just working with what you have. And we've definitely had some success from the TikTok. I feel like we've gotten some people saying that they've applied from it and we post all of our TikToks to Instagram. So that also helps, especially for the big dogs. It's great to see videos of them because in a small city, it's not as easy to get them adopted because of the small spaces that everybody has, but the videos really shows personality. And then people are like, I fell in love with that video that you posted of this 50 pound dog. So 
that's really where we've, I think, seen success with TikTok, which is great. I mean, it's just a new way of working and kind of learning with the times, I would say. (laughs) Yeah. And also how Jenny is saying like the success stories of TikTok, I think a lot of them, since it is kind of geared towards the younger crowd, we've gained a lot of fosters through them who are from like the tri-state area. And then often like family members that live in Connecticut or New Jersey, Westchester, New York will adopt the dog, like the larger dog. So it's also really helped that way in getting, I think like kids and families involved. Like so many people are like, I can't adopt my dog, but my sister can, and she lives out here, like my aunt, my parents. So it's really helped in that area as well for gaining fosters for the temporary period. And then kind of gauging it, it's in itself has helped the dog find a home. Just the trifecta. That's a really interesting and great point because we all talk all day long, right? About how fosters save lives and fosters are needed to save animals. But I don't think it's talked about enough. The marketing angle of fosters. If you have an animal in your home, you're going to be posting all day about that animal. So I think that is really interesting that it's like, extending your network from your normal reach to like these new family members and these new homes outside of your typical geographic region. That's so interesting. I say it goes past family members too. I had recently fostered a dog who she was uh, adopted a few weeks ago, but when I would post her on my Instagram and things like that, people that I knew in high school and like junior high would respond to my stories and go, oh my God, where do we apply? People that I'd weren't even in my like immediate friends and family group. I was already pushing her on my friends and family, but it's so crazy how people who were in my network who I I hadn't even spoken to, it was already marketing to them as well when I was fostering. No, it definitely does. Dogs are really just happy. I feel easy topic for people to kind of re-engage. In the city too, Jenny and I will take out the puppies and we know that we have to plan like an extended amount of time because the amount of people that stop us and want to talk to us for like a puppy makes everyone just feel so much better for the day. We know we need at least two hours because we get interrupted every time, like when we're trying to have an outside lunch meeting or something. But it's great to see how happy they make people and that no one's really scared of a little puppy. So it's nice to see. <laughs> And then we're like, it will grow, but these big ones like need homes too. So we'll sometimes we'll bring out a 50 pound dog and a small puppy. And so people see how they interact and kind of get rid of that stigma, fear of larger dogs and how they really are some of the most patient and most relaxed animals out there right now. Well, New York is known for its shoebox apartments. You'd have to think too, if someone's posting all day long about here's the 50 pound dog and here's how they're living in my house and look, my floorboards are not chewed up. And (laughs) that's the puppies. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes. (laughs) And we always say that if someone will be chatting me about, oh, I work in the office or I like to go out a couple hours. I'm like, well, then you need to foster one of the adult dogs. And usually it is a bigger dog, but they're mostly going to be on your couch sleeping the whole day. Yeah. They don't tend to have as much separation anxiety because that's really something we're going through with dogs that have been adopted during the pandemic in New York is that they are now getting the separation anxiety when their owners leave. And in New York City, being on top of people, everyone hears everything in the apartment. So 
that's probably one of our newer challenges is working with adopters and those dogs and helping them kind of retraining them on how to let their dog know they can be left alone so that they can continue to stay in that home. So helping our adopters kind of get re-educated on patients and, you know, leaving them alone at small periods of times. Because luckily also to New York, as small as it is, it's super dog friendly. You can pretty much take your dog to every restaurant and sit outside. And the amount of parks, there's parks everywhere they've rebuilt the West Side Highway, there's tons of walking paths and everything. So it's also kind of reminding people that there's so much that you can do with your dog outside of your apartment and that it's a small, this amount in there is actually pretty small. So it's very dog-friendly city. I'm like jealous. You'd think California would be way more dog-friendly and it just is not. It's not. It's not. And that's something that I'm trying, being from California, one of my dreams is to be able to extend all those out here because I do feel like dog rescue in California is still behind. New York's kind of starting to pick up, but it's not as knowledgeable in California. Like I think California's it's in the top five, like euthanasia rates at shelters still. And I just saw how Riverside is waiving adoption fees right now because they're so inundated. So it's definitely one of Waldo's long-term plans to get over to the West Coast <laughs> in the future. <laughs> so we're trying to, we're always thinking of ways that we can continue to help more dogs and save more. <laughs> and as far as like long-term plans go, I know that you guys are foster-based right now. In the future, do you ever have a dream of maybe having a facility or having like a shelter of your own where you can house animals? Thoughts are, I'm getting my dog training certification right now to possibly get a brick and mortar that's based for that and be also be able to have dog space there. So not a huge shelter because I think it is really important staying foster-based. You learn a lot more about the dog, see how the dog is in a home, but also being foster-based, sometimes we come into emergencies where a dog's not working out. And so we're scrambling to place it. So it would be great to kind of have a dual location that we can house like five dogs temporarily and kind of rotate them and also just offering training sessions for those that are adopting larger dogs and mannerism. So that is kind of where we're looking at in terms of a brick and mortar location. Can you talk a little bit more about this training certification? It's with Karen Pryor Academy, which is a force-free training session. It's about I'm in the emerging course right now. And then once you complete that course, you go on to the formal certification as part of their academy. And it's about a six-month course for that. So I'm looking at being done in like late 2022, early 2023. And it's just the amount of trainers. It takes a lot of patience. It's really patience is like the number one thing. And I just want to be able to help more. And I think it will really, especially with big dogs, help them get into formal places. And like I said, with the brick, it would be kind of being able to rescue bigger dogs that they're not bad dogs, but like they're not leash trained and being able to have that space and working with them for two weeks and then being able to move them into a foster home. So just getting more so that credibility. Like I am around dogs 24 seven. I learn a lot like intuitively with them, but a great example is, is that I'm 
came to California kind of last minute. And so I had to like figure out the five dogs. And there's been this one dog that has bounced around to foster homes. And she's been with me for like two, a little over two weeks. And like, I've really been working with her and I moved her into a foster home rather than boarding, which I was a little nervous about, but she's like thriving. Like I gave the new fosters a guideline when you're on walks, kind of just like a step-by-step and they've been following it. And they send us like the best pictures every day where prior to her coming to me, people want to send her to a sanctuary. And I'm like, she doesn't need to go to a sanctuary. She's a good dog. She just came from Georgia where all she knows is miles and miles of grass to run free. Like she doesn't know how to walk on a leash. So having that opportunity, I think to train like five dogs kind of at a given time and then move them into foster would be great, but that's long-term to where we can get that extra space of having the larger dogs. But that's really why I'm working on that just more so for the credibility. And I think it'll help get dogs adopted that are larger and not puppies. That's something I never thought about either. Cause I know so many rescues up North are transferring animals from the South and you don't think about the fact that they've had just like wide open spaces and just a very different lifestyle. And then you like, my gosh, like stick them in Manhattan or something. Yeah. It's like Disneyland to them. Like the amount of smells and noises, the amount of people on a sidewalk. (laughs) It's not just theirs. And I think like Jenny too has learned her and another one of our main volunteers, strong volunteers has really starting to see since I've gotten the place that Jenny's at right now, I'm fostering a little bit more dogs than in my actual like home base. But seeing a dog open up from how scared they are when they get here to like three days later, just like the patients, Jenny and Melody were both like, I've never, like a dog like really just needs to figure it out and like to be chill. But as humans, we want to fix everything right away teach them to sit and like all these tricks. And it's like, you need to get the dog to understand that you're a safe person first. And then you kind of move into like the walking on the leash and then getting them to sit. So really creating for adopters and fosters of how to kind of manage our own expectations. Cause we just want to fix everything so fast as humans and they come, some of them are just, they're really scared. They don't know who to trust. So it's really kind of reminding everyone to focus first on establishing that relationship and then continuing it. And then it becomes fun to train them because they trust you and they want to please you. But it's the balance of give and take of like the time. So Jenny and I have really started focusing on that with our fosters and trying to develop little plans to help them with like dogs that are scared to go outside. It's great like when you hear people say, wow, this dog's like really opening up now. It's amazing. Just because it isn't something you see every day. Of all this training, I know you mentioned earlier separation anxiety. It's such a unique challenge, I think, for so many people. And I think every dog obviously is going to be a little bit different in what they need. But are there any specific things that you found really successful for your adopters who are going through that? We had. One dog, Sapphire, she 
actually got returned because of separation anxiety. And now she's being fostered with another dog and has been doing absolutely amazing and has no separation anxiety. So I know that's not a cure for everyone to just have two dogs, but it does obviously help because they have a little friend to play with. But then we obviously have like the small tactics that we give to fosters, such as playing calming music on YouTube and giving them a Kong or like a chewy bone or something to entertain them in the crate and making the crate like a safe space for them, that they're not afraid to be alone and just little things. I mean, I don't think anyone can really crack the code of separation anxiety, but to reduce it is as best as we can do. I love that you said too that with the create, creating a safe space. When I used to work in a hospital, so many people would come in and they would tell me that when their pet does something wrong or their pet's in trouble, they put them away in their crate. I'm like, it's not a punishment. You shouldn't use it that way. That's, you know, that's supposed to be like their place where they feel okay and it's happy, only good vibes there. It shouldn't be somewhere they go to go to prison. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Absolutely. And I feel like we especially see with a lot of the dogs that we've been taking in that they love their crate. It's not like a scary place for them. Often they'll go there whenever they're scared or wherever, whenever they need to calm down and relax. And I think the stigma of crates is like very bizarre that everyone kind of thinks that it's like a punishment place, but really it's something that they enjoy and makes them feel comfortable and safe. Definitely. Well, so you've obviously had like a weird point of view from animal welfare in general, because it was sort of (laughs) built around this world that where everyone was trapped inside (laughs) (laughs) and being in such a hustling, bustling city that was kind of put to a total stop with the rescues you've seen over the couple of years. I'm wondering if there are any stories that really stuck out to you. We get a lot of breeder dogs is what they call them. So it's basically puppy mills in Georgia that they have a certain limit of how many dogs they can have in their facility. And when, they, when they're when they over that limit, they tend to give or surrender the older moms that aren't good mothers is what they say. So they only have two puppies instead of 10 or you know, just too old or not looking the right way that they want them to. So they'll surrender all of those dogs to one of the shelters that we work with in Georgia. And then we'll pull those to come here. They are usually the most scared and usually in the worst shape, which is very sad. So they live their lives in the puppy mill, basically in a crate, like a two by four crate with no human interaction. They just get food and water like pushed into their little crate. And they often have very bad teeth because they're chewing at the crate to get out and no grooming and nothing like that. So they come to us the most scared. And I think they are usually the ones that it's so amazing to see their progress because they've come matted and they don't know what a leash is or a collar. So when they get here, they're like jumping around, like trying to get the leash off. They don't want to eat. They just like sleep the first like week basically because they're like, who is this human 
and they do love other dogs. So that often helps a lot of the time to bring out their personalities. But there was one back in, I think, October, her name was Joy, and she was like extremely scared, extremely matted, and she completely transformed. The foster's grandpa actually adopted her in New Jersey. I follow her on Instagram, and she just has like the most amazing life now. It's like she has transformed into a completely new dog. So I think those are the ones that we really appreciate, especially even more because you can see the transition. So crazily and you're like wow I helped out in just that small thing that is really such a you know big big impact definitely so are there a particular type of dog that you're seeing come from a lot of these puppy mills or is it really like a mixed bag it's kind of a mixed bag but it's usually like dachshunds cocker spaniels yorkies it's a lot of the toy breeds like jack russell terriers and then um we'll get a handful of poodles and like golden doodles here and there. Now we got one golden retriever because he was six months and like he couldn't get sold yet. So they surrendered him to us and he was like the cute, he was so sweet, but I mean, he was just a golden retriever puppy that had zero human interaction and golden retrievers in labs already are known to be like very high energy and eat everything. So this one was a little bit extra. But we're trying to really kind of get out there. They're like, if you, as a human, if you're patients, there's some type of like particular dog that you want, you really can rescue them because state laws are starting to get stricter and the DOA and stuff is doing the best that they can to crack down. And so that's where they're kind of encouraging people to surrender to rescues rather than whatever way they used to do it before. <laughs> so, you know, the dog will need patience and everything, but you can really save sometimes a dog that you traditionally only believe are found in pet stores. If you just kind of be patient and like look out there and we really are encouraging like everyone to like talk to people and like let people know their experiences and what they see. And we've now for adopters have started putting in place where we're trying to get adopters pre-approved for these dogs so that they know that there is a list that they can kind of be put on to rescue and we really encourage them to like have that patience and like we will help them because these dogs we don't get them every transport but we get them pretty much every eight to ten weeks we'll get a group of them in so we've started talking more to applicants where before we weren't a lot of applicants, especially during the pandemic, people, there were people who were saying like, it's harder to adopt a dog than it is a kid right now <laughs> because of like all the work. So that is something that we've kind of put into play where we're trying to get to every applicant and at least speak to them rather than just ignoring. Ignoring is not the right word. Not being able, not just simply having like the capacity to get to that app and this is something we probably have only started for about like two months and we've gotten really good feedback on it and that people are just so happy to hear from an organization. So we do think it's helping them kind of hold out a little rather than looking to go to the pet store or a breeder where they can get a dog kind of on a list there too. I think that's sweet because I think a lot of people, they do tend to get very impatient. They'll put in an application and 
then they just don't hear anything back, you know, especially if they necessarily aren't a candidate for that specific dog that they applied for. So I, I think it's really cool that you, you preemptively reach out to them. You let them know what's going on, what your situation is. That way they're getting some communication back. It, it's kind of like when you order something online and they don't send you <laughs> any sort of tracking or shipping. They're just like, great. Versus you getting something that says, hey, there's going to be a delay. It's just nice to get that communication. I feel like it makes people a lot more patient or understanding. Yeah, like just kind of being kept in the loop, like your dog did get adopted. But we have started a survey that we send out and we're like, if you're still interested, can you please let us know like what criteria you're looking for? And then we'll pass those on to our volunteers that screen our applications and then they'll get them pre-approved. So that when we get a dog and rescue a dog that fits their criteria, they're kind of one of the first ones that we reach out to. Do you only adopt within state or do you do out-of-state adoptions at all? We do out-of-state adoptions. We have had kind of people from all over. I mean, I would say it's primarily like Maryland, Connecticut, and New Jersey. But we have had a few that have, I think we've had like two go to Michigan, one went to Arizona. The thing is that we just ask that the adopter comes to pick up the dog. That's the first thing that you have to do is getting your dog. So we are very open to out-of-state adoptions. They still go through the whole, the typical application approval process. And then they just have to come pick up their dog. A couple people will drive back with them, depending on the size of the dog, they'll fly them. But yeah, no, we're very open to different locations. You know, it is just so unique you doing that because it's really making the adopter feel like a valued resource. And they should be because there are so many animals that do need help. And I think up until this point, there have been so many organizations where you apply for a specific dog and if someone else gets it, that means you get rejected and basically thrown away. That shouldn't be the case. There has to be a dog for that person, right? (laughs) Yeah. There are no shortage of dogs needing homes right now. Yeah. A lot of the time what we see with adopters is if you want to adopt a dog, you really do want to adopt a dog and you're going to apply to anywhere that you see a cute dog, basically. So if we're the first ones to get to them, even if they're not going to get the dog that they applied for, if we can quickly suggest another dog, then it's so much better than like losing them to another rescue. I mean, obviously we want all dogs to be saved. So if they're adopting a dog, that's amazing. But it's been a great system. I think it's really been working out and it's exciting to see. We just had two adoptions today that were dogs that we've had for like three months, I would say. And I got so excited when I saw that someone could send the contract and I was like, oh my gosh, yay. Get like really involved in it, which is really fun too. And I think that our volunteers that are doing screening these apps now, it gives them something that makes them feel really great too, because they know that they're doing something amazing and they're just a piece of that puzzle. That is such a good point that I think a lot of people don't consider. It's like, if you're going out of your way to try and adopt a dog, that already says something about that person. I think at least in a world where everything is instant gratification and you can potentially walk into a store and walk out with a dog. If someone's taking the time to submit an application and go through whatever, 
I mean, that already says something about, and even just to the degree of finding a rescue, because I think sometimes it can just be hard enough to find a rescue. <laughs> I'm like, an, an adopter is not just an adopter. It's somebody who can, can potentially support you and donate to you. So by reaching out to every application that comes your way, even though they're not getting an animal, you are potentially cultivating another supporter for your rescue. That's so true. Like we have some people that it's not uncommon in your guy, Cuddly has been amazing with us on helping us and also teaching us that because I'm fundraising is definitely one of the things that I lack on figuring out how to do it successfully. It's definitely one of the harder things for me, even though this is a nonprofit majority of our resourcing does come from our adoption fees right now. So that's something that I'm definitely trying to learn more about and get better at. But we, in contacting these adoption applications, some might be like, oh, I actually just adopted, but you know, I'm going to give you guys a donation because I really appreciate like your organization just reaching out to us. And we did that not expecting that response, but it just shows like how much people appreciate just being noticed and like getting the update and knowing that we're all volunteer based. So we are being more conscious of it to let people know that like we want to help them as well. And we're getting the same help in return, like unexpectedly, which is so just great to see. It's like when someone like gives us like, we're like, oh my God, that's so nice. We actually also still made them feel good and they're making us feel so much better. I was going to say in our application process, we also call references and like a few times that I've screened applications, the reference has actually been like, oh, I want to also adopt a dog and then they'll adopt a dog from us. So it's really great the community that you build just with screening applications, with fosters having, posting the dog on social media. We've just like kind of expanded through a web. It's just like a web of people. So it's great. Oh, it sounds so obvious kind of like, hey, respect people and <laughs> and, and you're going to do well. I know. It's like, Aha! Is that the key to everything? (laughs) Oh my gosh. But I have to ask now, who is Waldo? Waldo was my aunt that passed away when I was a child. I was, I think I was six years old when she passed. So she never had children and her dogs were her life. Like they were everything to her. Like on, at her gravesite, it says like mother to Waldo and Penelope. I got so much of my love for animals from her. And then that's why we made it. Waldo's rescue pen was because I also wanted to honor Penelope. So she's like the pen part. So we, it goes by Waldo's a lot of times, but there were two dogs, Waldo's and Penelope. And that's why we added um, the pen part at the end. And then our logo is kind of like a mix of them, two of them. They were both sheep dog, English sheep dogs. So we kind of combined both of their looks when making our logo. Sweetness. Okay. Well, so we have some sort of fun questions. Our first one, you're both from the fashion industry. So dogs, naked or dressed? Dressed. Yeah. Especially in New York City because there's seasons and the coats are so (laughs) cute. That's true. I honestly like when they are naked, but then have like the little adopt me bandana on. I think it's the cutest thing. (laughs) They need some kind of accessory. Yeah, some kind of accessory is good. (laughs) So cute. 
I feel like it does help them get adopted too. Like the little extra flair shows off their personality. I know a lot of people are very like, leave them alone. (laughs) But some of the dogs really like it, I think too. They like eat it up. Oh yeah. They're so cute. Also, dog products are beginning to look like children. Like, yes, they like, like baby things. <laughs> like, I'm like, do that? Does this come in like adult size? Yeah, <laughs> no. Some of them are so cute, and it's so funny. My aunt in Huntington Beach, as Jenny was talking about these breeder dogs, they adopted a Yorkie from me. So one of the times when I flew out here, I flew um, this little Yorkie with me to California for them. And since it was so scared of a leash, they bought a stroller for it because they go walking on the beach every morning. And yesterday when I was talking to her, she's like, I swear I started a trend. She's like, there are so many strollers now, like when we're walking in the morning. What dedication to? Oh, this dog is living its best life. But (laughs) she's like, no, there's people with like their cats now and strollers along the beach. And she's like, oh, yeah, there was never. When before we got Danny and we started this with her, there were not this many dog strollers. <laughs> Transcenters. Yeah. So funny you say that because that's <laughs> my mom in Huntington Beach with her Yorkie in a stroller. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. She's like, she gets tired. So <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yes. Um, so yeah, she has started. It's just like so much dog stuff now looks like human baby products. Okay. It seems like you have a lot of the little guys. What's the naughtiest thing a dog has ever done in the rescue or at a foster's home? There's a lot of edibles on the street of city. That's not really their fault, but like, I think it's kind of bizarre that we've had like a couple dogs that actually get high. No. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Because they pick up so much stuff on the street and there's some areas oh, in New York literally City that are, on the street. Well, yeah. Cause if it gets like if someone's smoking and like just drops it there and it's already been activated, then the dog gets high from it. And it looks like the dog, now that we've experienced it a few times, it's the signs are very obvious because the dog will kind it looks like they're like seizuring and they like fall over and so we've taken a couple originally to the vet and they're like there's nothing you can do you have to wait it out they'll be fine in six eight hours and so we're always like so do you have any edibles possibly or what areas do you walk your dog in and we're like your dog's high (laughs) like literally your dog not high (laughs) yeah I wonder if like a ton of vets are seeing that now because I know it's just everywhere, right? Yeah, uh, right. On every street corner. They are. And they're just like, try to give them like water, which is Gatorade, but it's really just Taco Bell. Like, <laughs> <wait out>, right? <laughs> get them oh, some McDonald's, no. Jack and Box. But no, that is definitely something that we are starting to see more of. When you take the dog to the vet, the vet right away knows they're like, this is what happens. And we're like, okay. And I bet it's so easy for like a littler dog to get a little overwhelmed in that situation. Oh gosh. (laughs) So that's like one of the more interesting things that we've begun to come across. (laughs) Dang. Everyone put out your whatever you're using. (laughs) Properly, please. Throw it away properly. You're hurting someone you've never met and he's got four legs. Bills that we are looking forward to. (laughs) Oh man. 
last question in the work that you do. I mean, you're taking in a lot of puppy mill dogs and you've been working through a worldwide pandemic, which we're like so tired of that word now, I know. But is there something that you tell yourself to kind of keep yourself going, to stay inspired? I would say that we have a great group of volunteers and we talk all the time about how it is really hard where like someone says something negative that we like get so upset about that. And then we forget all the positive things that we do. So like Jenny and I are both very good at it. But if someone says like something positive, we always share it with each other and we share it with like our volunteers to kind of just remind them that like you are making so many people happy and trying to put that more at the forefront because no one likes to feel like they failed. And if a dog gets returned and they screen the app, they take it, you take it personally. And it's really just kind of encouraging and reminding people that when a dog gets placed in a home, if there's a family that wants to make it work, they will do whatever. I mean, we get dogs returned occasionally and we're actually very lucky. Our return rate is under 1% still, which we're like extremely lucky with, but someone will return a dog because it's barking and we're like, you adopted a dog. <laughs> like, like here is a rock for you instead. And so I'm just like, you can't take that personally because you asked all the questions. You definitely told them, went through what it's like to have a dog, but then people just don't realize sometimes like what it is. So those moments definitely do get discouraging. So really focusing, working on our mindset on focusing like the positive stuff that we get. Like when we said like we are talking to someone else and they send us a donation, like that's so nice and kind of like telling other people about it because that gets them excited knowing that they're then able to save another dog or also we've kind of broken out where prices out of vet that like, Hey, if you donate $20, you're giving them like two medications. And we've also seen that people like to know kind of specific dollars amount that helps, but we really just continue to work on like what we like looking much more and spending more time on what we are doing. That's a positive impact. And it's not easy. Jenny and I and the other volunteers like consciously like reminding people like, yes, but this dog that just went to its forever home, like here's a happy picture. So really just staying engaged and everyone just really supports each other. I would say emotionally, because it is extremely emotional work, as you guys know. Some of the stories are just horrific and it's hard to not get caught up in that negative and like the sadness of like what some of these animals go through. So looking at their transformation stories are really great and something that we've been working on more. I think at the end of the day, it's just reminding yourself that you're doing such a selfless act and helping your community and helping the world. And even if you're having a bad day, like Emily said, which it happens, you can kind of go back to that thought and be like, okay, I'm, I have a purpose in life. You know, I'm doing something that makes me feel good and that helps others. And that's really honestly what keeps me going. And I think especially like working in the fashion industry too, all I'm doing is like making clothes, but then I'm like, oh, in my free time, I'm saving dogs. And also like really also 
trying to, I feel like we say this almost every day, but we're like, everyone is doing their best. No one is perfect, but we are all doing our best here. And so you need working on like, again, just patient, human, like we do not have patience. I don't have patience. I realize that, like, especially being back in California and driving on the freeway. I'm like, no, what is this? Why is it taking me this long to get seven miles? We often are like, everyone's doing their best. Things can kind of be, and looking for ways that we can continue to make people feel comfortable and supported to keep doing their best and adapting to what is tomorrow and how it's continuously changing. Absolutely. I love talking to you both because I feel like this had so many good tidbits, truly. So thank you so much for the work that you do. We so appreciate it. And thank you for chatting with us. Thank you for having us. And thank you guys too. Like we really enjoy working with you guys and talking all the time about these animals that we can do more for. And just that there's like getting the word out there that there's definitely animals always in need. We loved this conversation with Jenny and Emily. Honestly, there were so many amazing tidbits that we've never touched on before. So just goes to show the world of rescue is always evolving. If you want to learn a little bit more about Waldo's Rescue Pen, you can check our show notes or our blog. And as always, remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast. And be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. That's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks, guys.